0: Host of the blues station here on WERU every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4. Join me as I share with you independent artists as well as those major studio artists uh, from major blues labels that I find from all around the world that are carrying on the traditions from the blues greats that started this genre over a hundred years ago. They're keeping the tradition alive by injecting soul, rock and roll, rhythm and blues, jazz, and everything else all together to come up with some of the best blues that are on the planet today. So right here, every Wednesday afternoon, here on WERU, The Blues Station. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Donna Craft-Smith licensed massage therapist, and the Therapeutic Body Work Learning Center, a massage therapy school in Brewer, Maine, offering initial and continuing massage education through weekend intensives, 989-4325 or mainmassageschool.com. You're listening to WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming at org. Let's take a quick look at the weather. Wonderful, sunny, high of 81. The sprouts are going to come out. It's time for gardening. Mostly cloudy tonight, low of 58. Thursday, 40% chance of showers, then chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Uh, and a high of sixty-eight. Thursday night showers likely. Low of fifty. Friday, thirty percent chance of showers with a high of sixty-one. So it's going down again. But it's time for something else here at WBRU. We're going to switch over to healthy options and learn a lot about a subject that's near and dear to a lot of us and at all of our ages. Here, standing by, healthy options with our host Rhonda Feynman.
1: Good morning. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Today on Healthy Options, we'll be looking at some of the programs in Maine that are helping to educate young people to make healthy sexual decisions. We're fortunate to have with us today two guests who are in the forefront of this significant endeavor. Lynette Johnson is the Director of Prevention Programs with Maine Family Planning. She works throughout Maine training educators from schools and community-based organizations in how to utilize proven programs which help. Teens make healthy sexual decisions, avoid unintended pregnancies, prevent HIV infections, and other sexually transmitted diseases. Our other guest today is Sue Campbell of Out Maine. She directs programming for LGBTQ youth in rural Maine. Her work includes implementing after school programming, building gay, straight, trans alliances in middle schools and high schools to make schools safe and affirming, and creating a strong safety net with informed and supportive health and uh, care and mental health care providers, clergy, school staff, crisis workers, and youth service organizations through trainings and ongoing assistance. Welcome to Healthy Options, Lynette Johnson and Sue Campbell. We're glad you could both be with us today. Thank you so much for coming. So, what are we talking about when we're talking about these days in... 2018 when we're talking about uh, making appropriate decisions how do we how do we educate uh, our youth and and I guess many of adults as well but how, how, how what is it that we're that we're talking about Lynette let's start let's start with you
2: um hi great it's great to be here um, I think it, it's all over the map. I mean, I can talk about what we would love for everyone to be talking about and teaching, um, but I can give you a little bit of a range of the kinds of topics and where young people are learning about this. Um, it starts at home, so we are a strong advocate of parents as the um, you know the most significant sexual sexuality educator of their young people, their kids. Um, you know, And that means it might be really great education or it might not be great education, but that's where it starts. Um, we work a lot with schools, so schools have health programs, health education. And so um, depending on the school and how much time a teacher has, what their requirements are for health, um, it can be pretty extensive health education around uh, sexual decision-making. Um, it could be learning the facts about STDs and birth control methods. Um, that's kind of the basics and then from there talking about relationships um, what can put someone at risk for pregnancy or STDs Um, and then um, hopefully um, and Sue will talk more about this talking a little bit about um, sexual orientation and gender identity and really more holistically um, someone's whole sexual life and who they are as a person do you have something to add to that, Sue? what's your?
3: Um, yeah, I, one of the one of the challenges that we find with um, the youth in schools is the lack of inclusive um, sex education for the LGBTQ youth. So this has been um, sort of part of the focus that we've had um, working with Lynette and uh, family planning to try try to help in include some of that information into the curriculum and then help get that word out to educators throughout the state.
1: So, right, so you are working together, and I'm seeing here, the this is from Maine Family Planning, your commitment to comprehensive sexuality education, and the the word evidence-based is so tricky. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of, um, there's actually been
2: a lot of work nationally around what is evidence-based sexuality education, and um, what that basically means is that there have been studies done on different topics, different ways of delivering the content, and it's been researched. So they can say because of this education, young people are, are more likely to uh, delay the onset of sexual activity, and when they do start to have sex, they are um, better at preventing STDs and you know having safer sex. So um, evidence-based means, uh, when we talk about evidence- evidence-based, is that we are um, employing certain – um, educational methodologies and content that has been proven to actually result in
1: some change. So, what what are we seeing here in Maine? What do we know about pregnancy rates? What do we know about? Uh, is there a state standard for for this kind of education, health education, they, or is mm-hmm. it school by school or district by district? How are, how are we doing this? There are state
2: standards. There's the health education standards through the Maine Learning Results. They are broad. Um, but they do include uh, family life education or sexuality education. <clears throat> um, however, h- what local schools actually implement kind of depends on the local schools. There's no way that the Department of Education is okay. making sure that s- that schools are complying with a certain set of standards. You're mm-hmm. shaking your
1: head, what mm-hmm. are you planning?
2: I'm agreeing with Lynette that it
3: is. Um, it does vary school to school, and when we look at the population of youth, that we serve, we see, um, a much higher, uh, risk for, um, unhealthy relationships, um, as well as, um, you know, risky sexual behaviors, um, and often, not getting the information that they need, and so they don't—they uh, aren't always equipped with the information that they need to make those better
1: choices. And you're talking about the LGBTQ, the LGBTQ youth. And so, what, are the, what do they what they need? What's the information that they need to get? What are you What are you guys, women, doing in your in your work as you go from school to school? Do Do you approach? Peep schools or organizations, or do they come to you? Uh, we do. We, we approach,
2: and then sometimes they come to us. In fact, mm-hmm. <clears throat> more and more these days they come to us. Um, and oftentimes, and Sue will attest to this, that they come with a crisis, like I can't believe the number of young people who are getting pregnant, or we have a transgender student in our school. What do we do? So oftentimes, that's our point of entry. Um, and at that point, what we like to recommend that, recommend is starting education from um, elementary school through high school. Um, the sooner you start setting some foundation foundational information, um, including what is consent and what does that mean, and not not waiting until they're in sexual relationships, but when they're forming their friendships, what does it mean to be a good friend and not bully somebody and treat someone with respect? So, and then from there you build on. Um, age-appropriate, developmentally appropriate um, content.
1: So when do you start? I know because it says here we have, uh, I'm, I'm looking at your statement, and it says you have, uh, in addition to the STD, HIV, transmission, the pregnancy, uh, unintended, to avoid unintended pregnancies, impressing upon them safe sex and also the importance of abstinence, um, comprehensive sexuality education curriculum units on puberty, anatomy, physiology of the reproductive system, as well as negotiation, refusal, and communication skills, all at aimed at helping Maine's young people make healthier choices. Specifically, how what how how young?
2: How, you know, i well, can we go in? you can start. You know, in elementary school, even the younger grades, in terms of bod- bodily autonomy and uh, what's safe in terms of touch and who should touch. What parts of your body and, and also identifying right. who you are, um, gender um, roles in terms of what does it mean to be a boy or a girl, um, you know, some, some of those conversations. And then uh, really we hit the ground running in, in about fourth or fifth grade when we start right. talking about puberty because young people are starting to notice and are going through the changes of puberty and they have lots of questions and lots of concerns and it can distract them from learning so usually schools come to us and we need to you know be right. addressing these topics right
1: and are you finding that that's the right age too
2: yeah that that's definitely the right age and then the
3: the nuance i guess that we see are for those youth that do identify as transgender and um that can happen at any age um as as little as 2 or 3 Even And so we often get calls from uh, elementary schools that will say, oh, you know, we have this child that is coming into our school. Um, It may be at kindergarten. It may be at third or fourth grade, wherever it is that they're entering the school. And we really need to know how to support them. Um, And, you know, where do they fit into the classroom when we are talking about puberty and those types of questions that we get often
2: and that's when we started working together <clears throat> we reached out to um, out maine when we were developing our puberty curriculum actually we've known each other longer than that but when we started to revise our puberty education it's a, it called it's called puberty happens it's available on our website mainefamilyplanning.org um, we have a lot of resources there for educators including that curriculum and we wanted to make it more inclusive um, traditionally, when you talk about the changes of puberty, you separate boys and girls, and boys experience this and girls experience that, which becomes very problematic for young people who are um, don't fit into that boy-girl binary, gender binary. So um, we got a lot of great um, input and suggestions from Sue and her colleagues at OutMain, and how could we make that curriculum a little bit more inclusive?
1: So what, what does that mean? What how did, how how would you make that more inclusive? What we some we have to sort of
3: change the paradigm of how people think about um gender and about um you know, we've all traditionally as a society thought um about it in a very binary way, you know, male and female. Um but when you have a child that has um that is born and I and is assigned one sex at birth, but their brain is telling them that they aren't that their brain does not align with that, then they may have body parts that don't align traditionally with what we think of as male and female. And so we need to make sure that they are getting the information that they need. And um, schools are typically still dividing youth into categories based on – you know, how their, what their sex was uh, assigned at birth and making an assumption that everybody fits into that category. And, you know, it does a lot of things um, for a child when uh, they don't feel like they belong, right? I mean, it's not just about the information they're getting, but then it's about all kinds of other emotional um, components of things that they may
2: be dealing with as well. And some simple things, um, just even using language, uh, differently, and talking about most girls will go through these changes, or most boys will go through these changes, making sure that um, everybody in the classroom is hearing the same information in the same space, so they don 't think oh those that group of boys over there must be getting some secret information that we don 't know or the girls how come they 're taking so much longer with the girls you know so then it starts to create this you know misinformation and you know gossip, and it you know it 's healthier if they can all learn together. And that they all learn about different, um, you know, respect and everybody's different and that's great and diversity is a good thing. Um, and that really builds a great foundation for moving forward and being accepting.
1: So uh, last month on Healthy Options, we did a program on adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. We did uh, ACES and, and that uh, will be up on online for people who missed it. Uh, it's definitely, uh, we did Patrick Walsh and, and Sue um, Sue Mackey um, Really, really good, good information, and I would imagine that this dovetails, as we say, with the kind of work that that you're doing when you are tra- training teachers uh, about this. Because if someone has been sexually abused or something, even at especially at a young age, without a lot of the verbal skills, perhaps, um, how does that, how is that part of your curriculum?
2: Uh, we've done some trauma informed um, training when we work with educators, um, in terms of not assuming that that the youth that they're talking to have the same experiences, and that there might be some triggering information that they're giving. And so, always allowing um, students who are in their classroom to have a way out and to be, um, you know, or to pass on certain things if they're feeling uncomfortable, and then checking in with them, um, connecting them, and making sure that other people in the building are aware that you're teaching sexual health because it can bring up a lot of issues. There are definitely moments when a teacher gets that anonymous question in the anonymous question box that reveals some kind of past traumatic uh, sexual history. And so they want to be able to connect their students and let students know that here are some resources for you and even saying it out loud that especially when they get older and when they're in high school we know that not everybody has had positive experiences with you know sexuality or intimacy and and here are some resources and we want everyone to be safe and and healthy and so we, we, we teachers talk about that and we help teachers understand um, you know how to be sensitive with their language and what they're teaching
1: how are you dealing with um, different teacher comf- comfort levels, yeah. you know, I would imagine. How, how, how does this It's come? all over the map.
2: We have some really f- fabulous health educators um, who love teaching sexuality education, and they do such a great job. And then we have phys ed teachers who really signed up to teach because they love to teach a phys ed. Um, You know, so physical education, right, right, and teaching those kinds of skills to young people, and so then they are told by their school administration, and you get to teach health class, and here's the unit on sex. You know, here's the best practices. It's the DOE's and main Family Planning's um, curriculum for high school. Here now, you need to teach this. So I would say there are some people who really don't want to teach it, and are they come to us saying, I have to teach this, and I really need some help. So it's it's all over the map.
3: Yeah, we get those same kind of calls um, at OutMain and um, often will be asked, you know, can you come in and do um, a lesson uh, in my health class around um, the s- sex component of uh, working with LGBTQ youth? And so um, either I will go in and do something like that or our youth education uh, coordinator will go in and, and talk in health classes or even to an entire student body if that's appropriate as well.
1: So, and that would be a mixed, mixed age group, or in that case, obviously? It, it
3: could be. I mean, usually if we are doing something school-wide, it's probably high school or middle school, and we always talk with the school to find out specifically what it is that they're looking for from us um, before we go in and do that. And other times, um, it could be an individual classroom. Um, we recently um, did a group of seventh grade um, classes uh, at a at a local school where we went in and Provided some information around um, LGBTQ youth and, and uh, healthy relationships and some of that information.
1: So, with the, you're talking about healthy relationships, LGBTQ youth, how, is that different than the information that you're giving kids who don't identify? It, is, how, how is, it isn't
3: necessarily different, or it shouldn't necessarily be relation, different. Safe relationship. I mean, a safe, is relationship safe relationship is a safe relationship. Um, but um, the LGBTQ youth um, get information um, from the time they're very small, often, that um, being LGBTQ is different. And maybe it's not good, right? Or it could be bad. Those are the... Um, negative messages that they so often receive. And so if they are identifying as being transgender or they do as they, um, you know, puberty comes along and they start thinking about, um, you know, romantic relationships or sexual relationships, um, they may not um, be experiencing it in the same way that they think that their peers are experiencing it. Right. So if you have a young boy and he suddenly realizes that he's interested in um, other boys, then that makes him um, perhaps hide that information or not feel safe bringing that information out because it 's not just about um, that relationship but it 's also about you know whether he 's going to be bullied or harassed or beaten up or whatever else it is that might happen and so you know we really try to. Um, stress that information with all of the youth. Um, you know, as Lynette said, we we don't go in and teach a specific group of youth. It's really important that all youth receive this information, and so that they can all recognize that there are all kinds of different relationships that we have, mm-hmm. and that they're all okay. And it's mm-hmm. a matter of getting that information and getting them comfortable, and then giving them that opportunity to ask mm-hmm. questions. Um, you know, in addition to working in. Uh, the schools we also have um youth retreats throughout um the year and part of the uh, work that we do with them is to provide this kind of information um to those youth um during those retreats so that they can um ask questions because they don't always um have that opportunity to ask a question or or even if they have the opportunity they may be excuse me too afraid um, to ask a question that might be sensitive, where if they're at a youth retreat and all the other youth um, are also LGBTQ, then it may feel a little safer for them to be able to ask the kinds of questions that they want to ask that they won't ask at school or ask to their parents.
2: We have some great uh, tools in Maine, and they're not perfect, but they do ask um, young people, both in middle and high school, some risk, risk behavior questions. And they also identify youth, or youth have an opportunity to identify whether they identify as, um, you know, heterosexual or you know, lesbian, bisexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and so the state collects this information. Um, oh, that sounds scary. No, it's very. It's all anonymous. It's all anonymous schools, and young people have to, you know, agree to, yeah. to take them. And it includes everything. It's the drugs and alcohol survey. It's, right, right. you know, what kind of fruits and vegetables do you eat? So it's a it runs. It, there's quite a few questions on a lot of different topics, but some of the information we get is that um, young people who identify as um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, they just started asking about transgender, so I'm not sure what available data there is. Um, but they are um, higher risk of a lot of different um, you know, drug and alcohol use, um, self-harm, suicide ideation, and also sexual behaviors. And it's not necessarily because they're LGBT that they are – That makes them higher risk. It's because they're not supported in the schools. They they're not sure it's okay to be who they are, and so um, it's easy. You know, they are um, involved in more risky behaviors because they they don't have the information. They don't think that the information, for instance, that they're getting in school around sexual health applies to them because traditionally um, our curriculums have been fairly um, heteronormative. Mm Meaning when you have an example of how to negotiate condom use it 's usually um, a male and a female and so even when we've tried to make it more neutral and use more neutral names, young people who are LGBTQ identified still are not seeing themselves. So we're trying to be much more explicit. You know, this, this um, information is for people in same-sex relationships as well. And this is what it, you know, it doesn't look any different, but now we're using names of Joe and Bill, you know, in, in terms of negotiating condom use. So people can see like, oh, it's not just about um, a
1: boy-girl relationship. <laughs> If you just tuned in, I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're listening to Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. Our guests today are Lynette Johnson, Director of Prevention Programs at Maine Family Planning, and Sue Campbell, the Program Director at Out Maine. And we're discussing the programs in Maine which help teens make healthy sexual decisions. So, in terms of, uh, of condoms, in terms of HIV, in terms of all of those options, birth control. How is that presented? How how do you talk about that? Um,
2: so medically accurate, factual, non judgmental. Um, we want to make sure people have all the information that they can then apply to themselves in their own lives. So in addition to providing some facts. We talk about it in context. So, um, talking about specific sexual behaviors and having young people look at those, this especially in, in high school, yes. and put them on a you know a, a range of what is going to keep you the safest and what, which things are maybe riskier, and really talking about specific um, sexual behaviors, and then they can kind of line those up and have a discussion around what makes it safe, what makes it less safe, how can you move uh, maybe an unsafe activity to more, you know, to to make it safer. Um, It's a lot of turning the information back to the students to discuss because we know just giving them the facts Takes up a lot of time, and the teachers usually don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time in the classroom, and so getting to have them to have those conversations and to figure it out for themselves is really a better way for them to learn because they're going to apply that information. They can look stuff up if if we can give them some great websites. You know, the CDC, main family planning. Here's some great websites to get the facts. Um, they can do that on their own, and they do that on their own. They're always, you know, they have a great facility with the internet. Um, so guiding them to those factual based. Um, websites is great. And then in the classroom, really, you know, talking about it and having them figure out how it applies to their lives. And why is it that in America, if a girl carries a condom, it's considered, you know, it's it's kind of the slut-shaming. And then, right, right. So, you know, if you compare, you know, those... um, perceptions in our country with Europe, for instance, um, young people in Europe, I mean, it doesn't mean any, if you're carrying a condom, it means you're prepared. It, re- it means you're keeping yourself safe and your partner safe. Um, here, it has some different connotations. So getting them to talk through that and why is that and how how should that change um, is really where the learning happens.
3: Yeah. And it's, it's also really like um, also making sure that they have access um, to things like condoms. Um, and In some communities, um, youth can get those um, at schools um, from nurses or um, guidance or wherever it is that the school allows them to have. And in other communities, um, the schools aren't allowed to hand those out. Um, And so then we are looking at youth who have to try to figure out how do they get the, the tools that they need in order to make sure that they're making safe decisions.
2: Yeah, One of the – we have more and more teachers that are doing condom demonstrations in the classroom. So they'll hand out condoms and they'll go through the steps for correct condom use. They'll maybe do a condom lineup with different cards of the different steps and the young people have to put them in order and talk a little bit about why. So really specific Because it seems like it's an easy enough thing. Like, oh, everyone knows how to use a condom, but apparently <laughs> people don't <all> know.
1: <laughs> well, I, we're born. We're just born right. knowing this. We're, we're discussing this. – this is uh, Lynette Johnson from uh, Maine Family Planning and, of course, um, – who we've just heard from, and then and Sue Sue Campbell here from uh, out out Maine. So so you know I, the, the the funny story, and I I, I will tell this my my uh, family member who works uh, for years uh, working with uh, developmentally disabled it used to be something you know, mentally retarded. We don't use those words, um, and it was the idea of how do we do teach safe sex to this population. And so they had an image of, well, we'll put a condom on a broomstick. And, or a banana. Or something. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and so there's, uh, you know, and, and the idea that you're, they live in, perhaps in a group home and there's there's like, the couch, you know, in the living room. And no, no, this is not where we're sexual. We go to our private areas. But what they discovered is that some of, that, uh, some of the couples were putting a condom on a broomstick, right, literally, and feeling that they were having safe sex. So they had to get, oh, wait, this isn't working. And so I I think it was uh, actually um, Ruben Blades, who's a, a wonderful Latin singer, who actually did a a Whole demonstration with an anatomically correct model, and things got better after mm-hmm. that you know <laughs> yeah, with certain audiences you do have to be a lot more
2: you, you it can't be nuanced you really have to exactly. um talk about the facts and really show this is how exactly it works, yeah,
1: so so you're doing that kind of thing um so there have to be some kids who are not feeling there may be just not feeling comfortable being sexual at all how did where's you know, where is their – how do they fit in? Is there the sense of, well, I'm learning all of this. Am I supposed to be doing this?
2: I think it's really interesting how the conversation has changed um, in the classroom. And I think young people are a lot further ahead of us as adults, and they're certainly a lot further ahead than their teachers in terms of the language they're using when it comes to sexual orientation, you have pansexual and you have asexual and there's all of these, they know the terminology and they want to use it and they want to ask about it. And once I had a teacher that's like, Oh, there's a student that doesn't want to do the condom demonstration. He says he doesn't need it. And I said, well, someday you will. And I'm like, well, maybe he won't, you know, maybe that's not something that maybe some people can be asexual and really not want to have those kinds of relationships. So you know, trying to introduce that we're not all you know going to en- engage in certain behaviors because we identify a certain way, um, and so definitely there's young people, and we just say, you know, this is just really important information. You know, it's kind of like algebra. Some people might use it. Some people might not. You know, that might be something you could tell a friend about. If you have a friend who, you know, is trying to prevent pregnancy or STDs or, you know, having sex and not using anything here, that you can show them this. You can tell them about condoms, even if you yourself aren't going to use them. Um, and, you
3: know, in it, I agree with Lynette that there are a lot of um, the youth that we see that do identify as asexual, um, meaning that they're just simply not interested in a sexual relationship with anyone. And, um, you know, there are so many terms that um, we see when we start talking about LGBT terminology, um, you know we could spend hours talking about the terminology alone, and the one thing that we try to enforce with youth and also reinforce with adults is that while youth are choosing to use these various terms, whether it 's asexual or pansexual or lesbian or gay, that it may change over time for them right, and that this is the how they are identifying now and That we don't want to make assumptions that, um, you know, as Lynette said, we don't want to make assumptions that, well, you may, you know, someday you're going to want to do that. Well, maybe someday you will, but maybe someday you won't. And those are kind of the important things. And like, you know, while we've talked about condoms here a little bit, some of the other things that, um, you know, that we need to make sure that our youth are um, aware of and, and know how to properly use are things like not only you know your standard condom which just seems to be the one topic that everybody talks about but also dental dams and internal mm-hmm. condoms and some of those those things because those may be the 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 protection methods that they're going to need and those things aren't always traditionally covered in um, a basic standard Sex ed class in a in a public So, so what is
1: it? What dental dams? This is for for female sexuality, what, what right? It's a, a it's good in the in the um, category
2: of barrier methods. So you want to make sure whatever kinds of sexual activity you're engaged in that there is um, to prevent STDs, especially that you, there's some kind of uh, you know barrier between you and your partner. And um, dental dams, you can actually purchase them specifically for oral sex on a woman. So they are a sheath of a latex um, that you can, sometimes it's flavored and you can use that to cover you know, someone's body part before oral sex. Um, but you can also use a condom and cut a condom in a specific way so that you can roll it out and it can be that same kind of latex sheath. Um, so we talk about that and we try to talk about that. Some teachers are less comfortable than others, but it's definitely something that we have changed the language and it's not just about about condoms is about barriers. That,
1: that's a, that's a, that's a, a, an excellent point. Um, I, I, certainly, this isn't the sex education class of the '60s that. But many of you us know, to I have go to through. say
2: that there's sometimes I think we went backwards a little bit, you know because I have someone i I know in my family who taught sex ed when she was in the seventies, and yeah. it was a lot more open than a lot of students get now I mean I, really I think, I think that there was some pretty good sexuality education that was happening in schools, and then things seemed to trend towards more conservative and then less education. Then abstinence came into the picture and there's a lot of funding, state and federal funding that goes towards abstinence only mm. um, education and sometimes they're specific enough to say uh, abstinence only until marriage um, and that's actually coming back so um, unfortunately I think, I think we had a really good run the last I would say 10 years it's been much more um, expansive in what we've been able to do and what we've been able to do with the federal funding in terms of pregnancy and STD prevention now there's m- this push back towards they're not calling it abstinence, but it's sexual risk avoidance
1: education, oh. and it basically is double abstinence. Double speak. We, we, we call it double speak. So, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit as an identifying possibility, but I, I, I was uh, going back to what you were saying, Sue Campbell, from, from out Maine, this idea that that, ident- that things change. You know, we have so much information, and the kids have so much information now more than, than ever, and... What you're talking about when you're 14 may not be what is Im- relevant to you when you're 22, be- but getting the information also gives you more more, more options in, in a way.
3: Yeah, right. I mean, and we also try to teach the youth that because they've made a decision once doesn't mean that they have to make that decision again, right? And so um, – Oftentimes they find themselves in a relationship where they're feeling pressured into um, making decisions around sexual behavior that they may not be comfortable with, and yet they may f- move forward with that. And at a later point, you know, we try to t- we talk with them and we say, you know, like, you know, if this has been a situation that you've been in, that doesn't mean that that has to be the situation that you're in moving forward. And so, um, you know, really trying to teach youth that their bodies belong to them and that the choices that they make are their choices and that no one else should be making those choices for them or pressuring them into making those choices before they're ready and really trying to build on that healthy relationship piece um as a as a key component around that that you know good sexual choices right i mean it's we want youth to be you know in that space where they're feeling safe when they do make those choices um, to decide to be in a sexual relationship with someone?
2: One of the, um, well, the Me Too movement, of course, hashtag Me Too, um, uh, and that Title IX, which is on college campuses, you know, raising awareness um, and accountability around um, sexual harassment, you know, sexual assault, um so we are integrating a lot more of consent language into sexuality education. Um there was a Harvard study that was um, done not too long ago where they asked um, college students uh, college students what they wish they had learned um back in high school and at what did they That's learn a good what they, yes. So they actually high it was higher percentage of students who said they learned about the facts around STDs and pregnancy prevention. But when it came to relationships, what does it mean to be in a relationship? How do you communicate? How do you know when someone wants to go out with you? How do you know when they're not into you? And that's the kind of information they say they're not getting. They're not getting it at home. They're not getting it at school. And they think that is uh, stuff that they're missing when they go. These were college students. So when they went on to college, they didn't really know how to navigate relationships and to meet somebody and to know what are the signs that the person is you know what do they say what does their body language show and you know whether they're interested or not interested and what is my responsibility around that so i think that that's that tends to be a really um popular conversation and discussion and once a teacher starts talking about that in a classroom the students just go on and on like how do you break
1: up with someone and you know things like that Mm -hmm. that's a good question yeah if you just tuned in you are listening to Healthy Options and on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're here with Sue Campbell from Out Maine, Lynette Johnson from Maine Family Planning. We're discussing programs in Maine and what's being taught in, to help kids and teens make healthy sexual decisions, and also, I think, to educate some of the adults in, in, our, in our world so that we can uh, be supportive and, and, add, and be allies in, in this. So, yes, this whole relationship, going back to the ACES situation that we were discussing, the adverse childhood experience, and the idea of those early education about bullying, about being respectful, that seems – are you seeing – this is starting to come in to the curriculum. Maybe we don't have enough years of this to see if there are changes in how the kids are relating when they become 14 or when they're in the fourth, fifth which is younger, right? That's ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, are we seeing anything yet, or do we know? I, I mean, I, I, mean,
2: I, I am. I, this is Lynette, yes.
1: Um, I am seeing more of
2: that education happening, or they say they're happening. It's happening, and guidance a guidance counselor might go into the classroom and talk about things. I, I think that the schools really see a need for it. Um, but now enters all of this standardized testing and proficiency-based learning. And the biggest complaint I hear from teachers is not that we don't think it's important, but we don't have time to teach this.
3: Yeah. And and Lynette's right. That is one of the challenges. And when you were referring to the adverse childhood experiences, um, you know, we really look at that data along with the the data that the state collects um, in their, you know, um, integrated health survey that Lynette was referring to before, and what we're seeing is um, for the youth that are identifying as uh, lesbian, gay, or bisexual because they do ask that at the high school level, and they've asked that for a number of years, so we're able to look at some trends. And what we're seeing is that, um, you know, things like bullying and um, and then choices that the youth are making around um self harm or suicide ideation or suicide attempts are still very high um, for you know youth that are you know lesbian and gay we 're probably looking into the fortieth percentile um, we 're looking at higher. Um, a little higher than that for youth that are bisexual because they don't feel like they belong anywhere. They're discriminated against whether they're um, trying to be in the group of friends that are heterosexual or they're trying to be in the group of friends um, that do identify as lesbian or gay. And then we have the transgender youth. And for transgender youth, um, 2017 is the first time that the state has asked about gender identity. And what we've seen is that um, 54% of um, Maine's transgender youth um, are making a suicide attempt or, or have said that they've made a, a suicide attempt within the last year, and that the bullying numbers are just astronomical. So while we've seen some of the, the numbers come down a little bit, which is good news, I mean, that tells me that the the messages and the information that um, we're putting out and, like, um, Maine Family Planning is putting out is that is working, um, but it's going to take a while. We we have a lot of work left to do um, to really get these youths to feel like they can make good, um, healthy relationship choices. And, you know, these youth, uh, the LGBT youth specifically, because they are so, um, you know, looked at in a, in a way where they, they're not always included, and they get bullied and harassed a lot, that they often, um, when someone is really nice to them, they sort of grab onto that, right? And then that puts them at a really high risk of um, other things, right? Whether that's um, poor sexual um, behavior choices or um, getting themselves into other unsafe situations.
2: Yes. Well, we certainly know that um, youth, you know, with the Aces, there's the, the the protective factors as well, and so supportive adults, and that's the one thing I've really been trying to hone in on. Any teacher education, it's like you might be that one person um, in that young person's life that is giving them a message they've never heard uh, heard before from someone else, and you could be that person that starts to, you know, change the way they think about themselves or connecting them with other people um, that, you know, they can have as resources. So that supportive and and asking students, um, who would you go to? Identify people in your life that are supportive that you think you could ask any question of and having them do that work and, and take time out of the um, STD facts with, you know, if I had an STD or if I was nervous, who are the people I would go to? Where are the resources that I could turn to? Because having them identify those supportive people in their life, um, can help in so many ways, not just sexuality, sexual decision-making,
1: um, but you know, all kinds of situations they might be in. So that's true for all the, everybody. Right. You know, that's true for everybody. Right. And, and so, um, Yes let 's Just take a moment because that that could be anyone listening <clears throat> can be, be that person
3: yeah, absolutely, <clears throat> and you know and, you know when we and again, going back to the statistics for just a second, you know um, LGBTQ youth who have supportive families are fifty percent less likely to be thinking about suicide, and they 're also going to be a whole lot less likely to be thinking about. You know, making bad choices around relationships and, um, you know, sexual behavior and all of those things. And so, you know, when we think about um, the context of family, um, some youth have very supportive families and some don't. And so, um, you know, I often think about, well, how many of us have people in our lives that we think of as family and who are those people that we can um, identify that we know we can reach out to when we're having a problem. And as Lynette said, any adult could be that person that some youth um, believes in and trusts and is willing to come and talk to them about when they're having an issue.
1: So that's part of your training and when you're... Going into the schools, it's Right. As well as, you know, what kind of messages are you sending? So we do work
2: around um, our own values around sexual health. You know, you might have a teacher who believes that really young people shouldn't be having sex and they should wait, which is a perfectly fine thing to believe and, you know, a value for you. But how are you presenting that? And are you saying that in a classroom where they're already might be there probably are students who are already sexually active whether it was a choice or not and um so be careful how you use the language and it's very it's fine to have your own value system but what language are you using how are you talking about it so that everybody feels included
1: so what are we noticing in terms of numbers if not that that's the only measure but in terms of on teen pregnancies, in terms of STDs, in terms of of those ex, you know kinds of health issues, what's what are we seeing now that we're, as you said, the last ten years or so? That well,
2: we've been Maine Family Planning has been working in schools since we became an organization, so I think it's like forty years oh, or yeah. so. Um, so uh, we definitely um, in Maine we're actually ahead of many other states in terms of what we do and what we can talk about and what's supported. Um, When I go to national conferences, I'm amazed at some of the other states um, that can't talk about certain things. And, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about how we do the condom demonstration. Like, oh, there's no way we'd ever be able to talk about condoms. So I think that we in Maine are doing pretty well. Um, Teen pregnancy rates, we used to have one of the highest teen pregnancy rates in the country decades ago. Now we are one of the lowest. And it keeps going down. On the main integrated youth health survey, we're seeing that fewer Uh, young people in both middle school and high school are engaging in sexual activity. Although there's a huge difference between ninth grade and 12th grade. So that's another piece of information I show teachers and school administrators. is like, there's a lot going on between ninth and 12th grade in your school. And they really need to have this information. You mean in terms of kids becoming sexually? Right, right. I think it's something in the 25, 27% of ninth graders say they've ever had sex. When you get to high school or to 12th graders, um, it's like sixty-two percent. So there's definitely a huge shift. Um, but fewer teens are sexually active than even they think. So that's another piece of information in the classroom. Is like, did you know that most of you tenth graders are not having sex? You know, according to the statistics, and that's hu- usually a huge surprise for them. It, um, it could
1: be a relief for some. Exactly. I think it's good for them. <laughs> oh my to gosh! That. I'm supposed <laughs> right. to. <laughs> right. Or, or right. the other way around. Like, right. oh.
2: And then, Why am um, I? in terms of uh, uh, birth control use and condom use, um, those rates have been going um, up. So, of sexually active, you know, youth who say they are sexually active, more and more are using condoms and they are using uh, birth control methods. That number goes down as they. So when they first initiate sexual activity, they're more likely to use condoms. By the time they're in a relationship longer, they switch from condoms to birth control. So, And you look at the trend in data, and you see, yes, teen pregnancy rates are going down in Maine. STD rates are going up, particularly among the 15 to 24-year-old population. Um, So there's definitely a need to talk about barrier methods and STD prevention still because we are seeing higher rates and more more incidents of um, STDs.
1: And that's being presented in school, in in some of these some some yes. classrooms, even yes. as we speak, no doubt. I hope so.
2: <laughs> this is the time for sex ed, actually. It is. We get a lot of phone calls this time of year. <laughs> yeah. spring is in the air. That's right. Spring is in the air. And School's about to end. <laughs> that's right. We also have had more interest of, from schools around. Um, uh, condom distribution So I think this year alone I've talked to three schools And given them some steps That they might want to follow In order to introduce condoms um, Like through the school nurse's office Or in different they, they need to figure that out But we have a tip sheet on our website That helps an organization or a school Kind of walk through those steps Of how would you provide um, condoms To you know, access to students um, So we, I think yeah. there's
1: more interest Among schools to do that yeah, you certainly have to. Th- th- that's a strategy. It's not like well, oh yeah, here you they don't are. want to
2: just throw yeah. That's here that's they are, kids. Recipe for disaster. Yes. <laughs> in terms so, of you know people, all you need is um, one community member to give a phone call and say, "What are you doing?" or what, you, "What did my kid come home with?" And so it's good to lay some groundwork and get support before you actually make them available.
3: Yeah, we also in when we talk with schools, we often um, also talk about. Um, you know talking with parents and you know helping that uh, that bridge that gap because um you know as Lynette said the, the first, um, you know, the first sex educators for any child is going to be are going to be their parents. And, you know, trying to help parents um, sometimes navigate those conversations with their youth. Um, you know, I'm sure all of us remember whatever that first conversation was that we had with our parents where we didn't want to have it and neither did they. Um, but, you know, what we see are youth that do have a more um, open dialogue with their parents, um, are often making um, healthier choices uh, in all kinds of areas, including, um, you know, sexual relationships.
1: If you have just tuned in, this is Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is WERU Community Radio. You are listening to Lynette Johnson, Director of Prevention Programs at Maine Family Planning, and Sue Campbell, the Program Director at Out Maine. We're discussing programs in Maine which help teens make healthy sexual decisions. So we're talking about parents. Are there Ways um, can parents call your organizations can you do you have access how i
3: mean that 's one of the things that we do i mean our Our mission is to support, educate, and empower um, LGBTQ youth across rural maine, and part of that is working directly with parents and families and so um, I get all kinds of calls from parents, grandparents um, that are asking questions um, and you know saying, well, this is what um, is happening with my child and i don't know what to do about it can you help me and so um we do provide that sort of support um frequently
2: um the same here we with main family at planning main family planning yes um we have uh parents that accompany their um children to get services so um we might have you know someone has a child who's in a relationship and they're 17 years old and they're like, you know what? I think it's time for us to go visit main, uh, main family planning. So, um, we definitely have a lot more parents that are uh, encouraging and supporting their, um, their kids, um, to have, you know, to be safe. Um, and then we also get lots of, um, you know, how could I talk to my kid about this? I, and parents sometimes want to, and then their child is like, I don't want to talk to you about this. So how do you open up the conversation and, um, Create an environment where it's an ongoing conversation, not just we're going to sit down and have the talk now. And because, you know, that probably is not the best.
1: It's a, a little big, bit we, we just see a cloud <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> so ways to start conversations would be uh, the media has a gazillion ways for us to open up that conversation whether in behaviors we see um, from celebrities um, types of relationships we see on television and um, videos and movies uh, lyrics of songs so I, I really encourage parents to pay attention it's really easy now to let your um, child just go off on their own with a Uh, with earbuds in their device, and you have no idea what they're engaged in in terms of listening and and um, hearing and the kinds of images or uh, messages they're getting around sex. Um, so try to take the earbuds out and like, hey, what are you watching? You know, what are you really into? What what kind of, um, you know, video blogs do you like? And, you know, th- that kind of what are you listening to um, and have have conversations on an ongoing basis and not just make it about sex, you know, sex. I mean, hey, what do you think about, you know? just anything, how that person treated that person or, you know, it could be about race, it could be about religion, it could be about politics, to start having those conversations and engaging your child. And then when something comes up, it's like, hey, I don't really like the way that that person treated their partner in that relationship. What do you think? And then it gets the the conversation going.
3: Yeah, it's critical to have those conversations. And, um, And then even with that, those conversations, there are some youth who are Um, still not going to be comfortable talking to their parents um, about that information and you know but so fortunately they are able to still go to family planning and and get information and resources um, as well and so you know we we try to make sure that um, that while parents have all of these um, tools and information and we certainly encourage all of that we also try to make sure that the youth have that information and recognize that they can seek out some of the, those resources and information on their own um, if they don't have their parents. Um, because with our with the LGBTQ youth that we serve, we also see a very large um, percentage of them that are not in traditional uh, families with parents that are there and supportive for them. So, um, you know, many of them are um, homeless or couch surfing or... Um, in other types of relationships. So
2: we want to make sure that that information is available wherever it is that they may be. And it creates, if we um, teach young people how to access the skills and information and services they need, it's just a great thing that they can carry with them throughout life. And for parents who even are supportive and they think, oh, my kid will come to me with anything, just, you know, create those different safety nets and have, you know, talk to your child about who, you know, who else besides me would you go to? Because um, oftentimes I think it's just nature that um, kids don't necessarily Go to their parent is the first resource when they have a question that they're concerned about or they're questioning who they are and they've had sex and they think their parents are going to be disappointed. So just make sure that you talk to your children about, you know, other people in their lives that they might – that
1: might be that first person that they can talk to. So we are, um, as I said, talking to Sue Campbell from Out Maine and Lynette Johnson from Maine Family Planning. We'll have all the contact information on the website as well. So maybe you could give us some contact information right now. We'd, we're not—we have about five minutes left, but now's a good time. Where would some parents get some of that information on your website? Where would-
2: we have a brand new website, actually, MaineFamilyPlanning.org. It's the same. Um, the same. URL, but um, we've just updated it. Um, that's it's a great website for all of our services. So you can find a clinic if you're interested in uh, finding a main family planning clinic that's closest to you, you put your um, zip code in and um, it will bring you to the nearest one. It has a list of our services available. Um, we have a for educator. Um, site um we have I think a family, so someone could look up some resources um parent resources um, where they could go online to get information um for educators again, we have um all kinds of information on on that website. We also have a chat in fact, a lot of community organizations have been going through our um med chat it 's if you want to talk to somebody and oftentimes it 's uh, someone you know wanting to know. I'm experiencing the symptoms, could it be an STD, and then that person can lead them to where they need to go. But we've also gotten a lot of um, chats from parents and school staff. Um, I'm looking for, you know, this resource, and then that person sends it to me. So they can go online and ask questions as well. Uh, And for OutMain, uh, it's um, OutMain.org,
3: and we have um, a variety of resources available um, for educators, for parents, um, and then for other providers um, that are in the community, our one of our goals is to build a safety net in throughout all of the communities um, for our youth. So, um, if a youth is not um, able to talk with parents or don't feel safe doing that, and they may or may not have a teacher at school, um, you know, we're also trying to provide this type of information and resources to. Um, other providers, whether that's therapeutic providers, medical providers, um, or at any other youth service providers um, that uh, may be working with youth, with youth, including case managers and um, other folks. So the information is available on the website, um, and you can always call, give the office a call at our 800 number. What's the 800 number? 800-530-6997. Five three zeros.
1: One eight hundred five three zero six nine nine seven. Okay, so how do you guys work together? What are you? I was you? just going to give a, a big plug for OutMain website
2: because they have some great videos of young people talking about their experiences and their hopes and their dreams, and I think it's great for not only LGBTQ youth who are questioning identifying, trying to find that connection, but for adults who want to know what are young people who are identify as LGBTQ what are they What are they saying? So I, I've I send people there all the time, like, check out these videos. There's some really great information. Um, But we've also done a training together, and we're going to do another one. Um, We're working with foster um, the caseworkers at the DHHS who work with foster youth, and we'll be involved in a series of four trainings um, on how to, you know, uh, support youth in foster care around sexual health um, decisions. Yeah, because that's that's a um – a challenge for
3: youth that are in foster care, um, while they are likely in school and getting that information, um, you know, they aren't—they aren't in a traditional f- uh, home family setting always, and so uh, they need to be able to make sure that they're getting that information and resources. That's and, really important. Yeah, very important. And also, um, you know, uh, Lynette has sort of um, made mention to this before, but they also are working with a multitude of adults that may have their own. Um, their own opinions and biases on this information. And so we need to make sure that those folks recognize, um, you know, what their belief systems are and that their job is to make sure that these youth have that information and not that they are making decisions based on their own beliefs um, for the youth.
1: You're shaking your head, Lynette. Yes. Yeah, gonna... I think
2: we, we've been working together. It used, before Sue and I met each other, I think um, we had an outreach educator in the Rockland area, and she frequented out Maine uh, and, you know, did education groups and brought condoms. And so that started the relationship. But then we both have expanded more into supporting adults and parents and school staff. And there's so many ways that we connect with each other to make sure that we're both there and offering our services, you know, to adults and teachers.
1: Well, I really appreciate all of your work. This is Healthy Options, and we could continue. There's more to discuss, so please frequent those, uh, mainfamilyplanning.org and outmain.org. Our guests today on Healthy Options have been Sue Campbell from OutMain and Lynette Johnson from Maine Family Planning. We have been discussing all the programs and ways that we are helping to educate our youth and our adults on making good, healthy sexual choices. I want to thank you both for being here today and for doing the important work you're both doing across Maine. We'll have links to this and other information that was mentioned when we post the show on the public affairs section of WERU.org. If you missed any part of this program or would like to share it, please go to WERU.org to find our recent programs on demand. Thanks to John Greenman for engineering, to Petra Hall for production assistance and as always thanks to all of our weru listeners and supporters this is Rhonda feyman wishing you the best in health
0: we got a couple of seconds here to give a little update on the weather which is really exciting because it is today going to be 81 degrees and sunny mostly and tonight, mostly cloudy, about 58. A chance of showers on Thursday. Showers, then chance of thunder showers, high of 68. A little bit rainy tomorrow. Showers likely Thursday night with a low of 50. Hey, thank you so much for those folks who showed up for the 30th anniversary, 30th birthday of WBRU on Saturday. Yesterday was May 1st, our 30th birthday. Thank you for three decades of listener support and volunteer power. Support for WERU comes from Susan Bakely and Chris Marshall at the 13th Moon Center in Montville, offering shamanic healing, art from the heart, through art, therapy, and classes since 1985. More information is available at 13thmooncenter.net, all spelled out, or 589
2: Hi, this is Amy Brown, host of Maine Currents, inviting you to join me at a new time, the first Thursday of every month from 10 to 11 a.m. for independent local news, views, and culture here on your community radio station, W E R U F M. That's Maine Currents moving to the first Thursday of every month. To-